This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Open your Bibles, please, to the first book of the New Testament. Do you know what that is? Book of Matthew, chapter 9. And uh, we'll be picking up our reading momentarily in, in, in verse 9. Let's just uh, call a time out and ask God to help us. Lord, we've already prayed and we know others have prayed, but we just really sense the need for your help and God, don't let there be any unnecessary distractions. I pray that you would keep me on topic and uh, Lord, keep our minds at attention and especially our hearts open to what the Holy Spirit would say to us today. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We're beginning, as announced last week, uh, we're beginning a new series entitled Follow Jesus. And as we do so, let me open up and give you a couple of emotions that, I, that I'm feeling right now. First, I'm always so stoked when we begin a, a new series like this, um, and especially when I've never done a series on this topic. I've, I've dealt with this topic in small, bite-sized chunks, but over the next few weeks, if God will help us, we want to go deeper. I'm not saying real deep because I'm not a deep person, but we're going to try to get below the surface and hopefully the Holy Spirit will, uh, will give us some amazing insight on what it means to follow Jesus. So my first emotion is excitement. But the second emotion that I, I'm feeling is, is nervousness and probably more so than usual. And the biggest reason is because over my lifetime, I've developed a bunch of preconceived ideas of what it means to be a Christian. And already preparing for this first lesson, some of my preconceived ideas are being blown out of the water. And that makes me nervous. Um, it also makes me nervous because I have a feeling that some of your preconceived ideas will be shot down as well. And, and, and frankly, I'm nervous about your reaction. Um, because I found that when our long-standing traditions and our practices and our ideas are questioned, many times we get a little edgy. But hopefully you and uh, hopefully me, hopefully all of us will respond in the right way if uh, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Now, to get us headed in the right direction, let me tell you a little bit of my story. And this is not to bring attention to me, but I think that as you hear parts of my story, many of you will be able to relate. Most of you knew that I, most of you know that I, I grew up as a missionary kid, um, my parents served as missionaries in South America for 18 years, and I was actually born in the country of Bolivia. And between growing up there as a child and returning there as a missionary after I married faith, I've invested nearly 20 years in, of my life in this Andean country that I, I love. Um, I, I mean, I love the people. I love the culture. I love the geography. I love the food and the famous stories of the stomp potatoes. I, I even love them. And if you don't know what that is, you can just Google it. But I, I, I love the, the different languages. We worked with three different language groups. And, and I love the variety. For example, one of the, one of the languages we worked with was Spanish. And, and so to ask, how are you? Um, and you know this. If you took a Spanish class in, in, in school, you know this. Uh, to ask, how are you? You would say, como estas? And what would be the right response if you're okay? Bien. Okay. Como estas? 
you're good. But we also worked with a language group called Aymara. And, and to ask how you are in Aymara, we would say, Kamisaki. And the right response, if you're okay, would be, Waliki. Kamisaki? Waliki. So, Kamisaki? Ah, you guys are just, you've got the gift of languages. And then for the third language group that we worked with, it was Quechua, which the Quechua people are pre-Inca. They date back before the Inca people. And uh, so when asking, how are you, in Quechua, you would say, Imainalla, and the right response would be, Walechia, Walechia. Got to kind of get that in there. Walechia. Imainalla, Walechia. Okay? Ready? Imainalla. Yeah, yeah, you got it. <laughs> and it was awesome because sometimes a speaker would come down from the States and, and so they would, they would speak in English, it would be translated into Spanish, then to Aymara and to Quechua. And, and so a 15-minute sermon ended up being an hour. And an hour of sermon could end up being four hours. It was awesome. And so even though I dearly love the United States of America, that there's something within me that still loves the country of my birth and at times even longs to be back in that country. But, but all of that to say that as an MK missionary kid or PK preacher's kid, I grew up in the church. Our lives were centered around the church and I never resented it. I've heard many preachers, kids who became bitter about their parents being involved in the ministry. I never felt that way. And, and part of it was that my parents were amazing. They lived lives that were straight as an arrow. And, and their Christianity was so attractive. It was so winsome that I wanted to follow them as they followed Jesus. Now, of course, not everything was perfect as an MK or PK. There were some disadvantages. One was that a lot of people kind of expected us to be perfect. And as much as I tried, I, I just couldn't. And I know that surprises some of you. Uh, but I wasn't that perfect kid that, that never got in trouble. And in fact, back in those days, and, and some of you young punks, you need to listen to this. Uh, you know, schools were able to do more than just give in-school suspension slips or whatever they call it or something like that. But back then they could still paddle. Anybody remember those days? <laughs> yeah. You teachers are saying, oh, let us go back to the good old days. And, and I was known to be on the receiving end of a paddling. And I know that surprises some of you a lot. And uh, that's not really that funny. <laughs> I, I was known to do some stuff that was really dumb as well and such a skip class. And, and one day, I, I don't know what got into me, but I skipped class. And I was in high school. I was actually a senior in high school. I, I was old enough to know better. And, and so I skipped class. I went over to the gymnasium to play some pickup basketball during school hours. Now, how dumb is that? That's really dumb. And, and of course, I got caught and I suffered the consequences. So, so I was far from that perfect kid. And, and I disappointed a lot of people. Another disadvantage of being an MKPK is, and hopefully this doesn't come across too egotistical, but, but I saw a lot of hypocrisy in the church. You think you've seen hypocrisy? <laughs> I've got to beat. I know I've seen more than you have, unless you've been in ministry. You, you think you've seen politics in the church? I, I've got you beat. I, I've seen church people campaign to be part of the board, and, and then they would get upset if they get, didn't get voted in. I mean, stuff that just makes you sick. And then you think you've seen weird stuff? 
I could write a book on the weird stuff that I've seen in church. I, I've seen people shaking and shuddering and flopping around and shouting while running around the church with a flower pot on their head. I'm serious. They called it getting blessed. I called it being weird. So growing up in my world as a PK, there were some disadvantages. But anyway, as I, as I grew up in the church, I, I began to form my view of what I thought it meant to serve the Lord. And, and I basically began to make Christianity into a giant game of Jesus says. You know, you've heard of the game Simon says, you know, Simon says do this and, and Simon says do that. And, and so in a lot of ways, I made Christianity into a game of Jesus says. Jesus says go to church. Jesus says pray. Jesus says read your Bible. Jesus said give your tithes. Jesus says don't cuss. Jesus says, don't look at girls if they're wearing this. And Jesus says, don't smoke and, and, and don't hang around bad people and on and on. Now, let me quickly say this before we move on. That, that seeing my walk with God as a game of Jesus says was not my parents' fault. They didn't teach me that. And it was not even the church's fault. They didn't teach me that. It was no one's fault except for my own. But anyway, I tried really hard to do well in the Jesus Says game. And, and I tried hard to read my Bible every day. And, and I tried to pray so many minutes each day. In fact, uh, for, for a while it was like I would almost set a timer to where I needed to pray so many minutes every day. And then I, I gave not only my tithes, but I gave my offerings above my tithe. And, and, and I, back in high school, I even developed a time when, when one ch- paycheck, even above my tithes and offerings, one paycheck, full paycheck, I would just give to the Lord. And, and so I began to look at it this way as, as Jesus says to the, do this and do that. And I went to church Sunday morning and Sunday evening and, and Wednesday evening and, and, and revivals, not only at our church, but at other churches. But the problem with this spiritual game of Jesus says that is that it seemed that I just couldn't ever do enough. It seemed that I could never pray enough and I'd feel guilty. Man, I should have prayed another two minutes or five minutes. I could never read enough of my Bible. I, you know, I, I couldn't seem to stay on track long term and, <clears throat> excuse me, and invariably I would stray away from the Lord. But then... A revival would come to my church and I would be convicted and because I knew I'd strayed away and I would go forward to the altar and it was like, okay, God, I need to get back into the Jesus says game. Okay, Jesus says pray. I need to pray more. Jesus says read your Bible. I need to do a better job of that. And, and, and that Jesus says game became an endless cycle that brought about a lot of emptiness and frustration. Let me just ask you here. Can anybody relate to that? Am I the only one that's been there, done that? If you can relate to that, then the series is for you. And if you can't relate to that, the series is still for you because maybe you can help someone else that's there. And, and I want us today to have a complete, over the next few weeks actually, to have a complete paradigm shift. And I want us to quit playing the Jesus Says game. Stop it. Stop the game. Because, and and this may not be possible, but if it were possible to erase everything that's been programmed into our minds about Christianity, and if we could just start over with a blank slate, here's what you would discover. 
You would discover in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four accounts of Jesus' life, that Christianity is defined by two words, but not the words Jesus says. Rather, the words, follow me. Over and over and over again, you will find Jesus extending this invitation to every kind of person imaginable. The rich, the poor, those who were spiritual, those who were not spiritual, the healthy, the sick. Jesus would extend the invitation and say, follow me. Which is very significant. And and this is huge. This means that Christianity, rather than being rule-centered, is relationship-centered. In fact, there are a couple of illustrations that Jesus mentions that, that, that summarize this relationship. First, uh, first, he talks about it in terms of the vine and the branches. He, he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And you don't find the vine saying, hey, branch, do this and do that. No, r- rather what happens is that the vine gives life to the branches. And then the branches naturally begin to grow and develop and mature because they're receiving life from the vine. Which helps us see that that our walk with Jesus is much more than just reading the Bible. It's much more than just praying. It's much more than just going to church. Those are byproducts of following Jesus. But many times we've defined following Jesus in those terms. But following Jesus is really about abiding in the vine, abiding in Christ. And then another picture that Jesus gives us about this relationship is where Jesus talks about the shepherd and his sheep. And, and you never read where the shepherd was barking commands to the sheep saying, sheep, do this, do that. No, no, he said, you know what? There are a lot of different sheep out there on the hillside and there are even different shepherds that those sheep belong to. But he said, my sheep hear my voice. And when they hear my voice, they will automatically follow me. And so this whole Jesus says game, I don't know where it came from. And if the Jesus says game is the extent of your Christianity, if that's what your walk with God boils down to, just going to church, just reading your Bible, just praying, you are missing out on the most incredible part of Christianity, which is the personal and the living and the growing and the intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And so my goal for the next several weeks of this series is to really begin to experience Jesus and begin to follow him in a close way. That's our introduction. Let's look at the scripture that will anchor our thoughts today, Matthew chapter 9. And here Matthew is telling us a story about himself. It's kind of interesting. Uh, He's referring to himself in the third person. And I'll be reading today from the NIV translation goes like this verse 9 as matthew went on from there he i'm sorry as jesus went on from there he saw a man named matthew so that's who's telling us the story sitting at the tax collector's booth now just a reminder most of you know this because most of you grew up in church but but tax collectors were despised that they they were despicable in fact this past week i was trying to um think of a comparison that would generate the same emotion that people felt about tax collectors 2,000 years ago. And, and I thought of maybe something like this. A 22-year-old kid who might go hang out behind Sonic and sell meth to middle schoolers when they came to buy something to drink. I mean, just kind of think of that emotion that that, that brings up in your, in your mind. And that's kind of the way that people felt about tax collectors back then. Uh, I'm telling you, they they were hated. They couldn't go to the temple to worship. 
They were not allowed at community gatherings. The only people they could hang out with were other tax gatherers like themselves. In fact, let me give you some background here. And again, some of you know this. Just, this is just a review. The way it worked was this. Rome auctioned off to the highest bidder the right to collect taxes in all of their provinces. And remember, there are all kinds of taxes. Uh, it's kind of like today. They, they had the poll tax, the bridge tax, income tax, food tax. If you were at a harbor, there was a harbor tax, crossroad tax, wine tax, property tax. It went on and on and on. But generally, the wealthiest people would bid on this position because they could bid the highest. And, and if they got the position, then already as wealthy people, they would become wealthier. And, and as long as the Roman government got their share, they didn't care, care how much the tax collector added to the bill. So this was a very lucrative business, even though it was extremely crooked. Well, then these Roman tax collectors, listen to this, this is what's significant for our lesson today. They would go to other provinces outside of Rome, maybe like Israel, uh, areas that were still under Roman rule, and, and they would hire the locals. And in this case, in our scripture, they hired Matthew to work for them and have him do the dirty work of collecting taxes from his own Jewish people. And and of course, then that would be sent back to, to Rome. And, and because this business was so lucrative, even though the locals knew they would be hated, yet all of the money they would make, it was hard for them to refuse this offer. So in our lesson, Jesus walked up to Matthew. He's collecting taxes. And, and you know, Jesus could have said one of many things to Matthew. He could have said something real catty and snide. Matthew, I bet your mom is really proud of you for betraying your people like this. Or he could have taken a more direct approach and, and said, Matthew, you low-down scumbag, you. How dare you take advantage of your own people? But instead of these approaches, Jesus looked at Matthew, the wicked tax collector, and said, follow me. And no, this was not a little invitation to, hey, let's take a walk together. This was a formal invitation to become part of Jesus' circle. Now, when Jesus invited him to join him, even though the scripture doesn't detail this, I kind of imagine that there was probably some rolling of eyes and some whispering and griping among those that were following Jesus. And, and maybe the outspoken Peter leaned in close to Jesus and said, hey, wait a minute. Master, if Matthew follows you, then that means he's with me. And I'm certainly not going to be with him. But Jesus ignored the whispering and said, Matthew, follow me. Well, Matthew tells us uh, what happened. As Jesus went on from there, he saw Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth, follow me, he told him. And Matthew, what happened? Matthew got up and followed him. Now, now this is very important, especially for people like me who grew up playing Jesus Says. Because many of us, maybe some of you, would have said, now, Matthew, if, if you're willing to stop being a tax collector and if you'll get a real job, then you can follow me. Is that right? Probably what some of us would have said. Or, or, or Matthew, I'll tell you what we're going to do. I, I, I'm going to check back with you in three weeks. And if you can prove to me that you've completely changed your ways, if you quit all of your bad habits and addictions and you found another job besides tax collecting... Then you can follow me. Or, 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 or Matthew, here's the test. I'm going to take you to the Jordan River. This is where we baptize people. And there on the banks of the Jordan River, before we dunk you, you need to 
admit publicly how awful of a person you've been. And then we will baptize you and you can follow me. Jesus said none of that. And this really gets me. Jesus looked at this man who had taken advantage of hundreds, probably thousands of people, cheated them. And Jesus simply said, follow me. And in this first lesson of of the series, what I want us to begin asking is, not am I following the Ten Commandments, not am I praying enough, not am I reading enough verses or chapters of the Bible each day, not am I giving enough of a percentage of my money to the church, and yes, all of those things are good and important, but, but could we just for a little while put all of those things to one side? And I want every one of us here today to begin asking the question, am I following Jesus? Now, if that approach seems too simple for you, then join the crowd because it seemed too simple for the religious people in Jesus' day as well. The story continues. And Matthew gives us a really interesting detail in verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. Now, wait a minute. Jesus asked Matthew to follow him. And the next thing we know is that Jesus and his disciples are at the house having dinner, at his house having dinner. And if you think Peter and the guys had a problem with Matthew walking around associating with them, when they found out that they were going to Matthew's house to eat, probably about blew a gasket. You know, when Peter got wind of this, he probably said, Jesus, did I hear you? Where are we going to eat? Jesus said, we're going to Matthew's house. And reading between the lines, I can imagine Peter saying, no way, Lord. You know, it's enough to be seen with him on the street, but I just can't go to his house. I I can't stoop to that level. That'll hurt my reputation. Well, look who all was at the dinner. (laughs) While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners. So so you got Jesus there. Obviously, the disciples were there, but there were many tax collectors and sinners. Now, let me explain this. Why didn't they just say sinners? and, And we all understand the term sinners, you know, don't we? We understand what a sinner is. Um, But tax collectors were so bad that they had their own classification. Sinners were bad, but tax collectors were worse. They were the worst of the worst. That's why Scripture says tax collectors and sinners. And I was thinking about this this past week, probably... Most of the people at the dinner were so bad they didn't even bother making sacrifices for their sin. Because I'm sure in their minds it was like, well, there's no hope for us. You know, we're too bad. We're too wicked. We might as well eat, drink, and be married because, you know, we're going to go to hell anyway. So we might as well live it up now. Now, let me point out something that really is a big deal. Jesus was, this is big. Jesus was extraordinarily comfortable hanging with people who weren't anything like him. I mean, Jesus had nothing in common with sinners. You understand that, don't you? Because Jesus was without sin. Jesus was without sin. But he was extraordinarily comfortable with sinners. And furthermore, as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, people who were nothing like Jesus, especially sinners... They were apparently extraordinarily comfortable 
with Jesus. And I, I want to come back to that in a minute, but let me just veer off for a moment and say this. This morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and if you feel anything but love from us, and if you, you know, if you feel a little bit weird and uncomfortable around us, I want you to know that is our fault. That's not our Savior's fault. Our Savior was extraordinarily comfortable with people who were nothing like Him, and people who were nothing like Him were extraordinarily comfortable with Him. And what really speaks to me about this whole situation is that Jesus was not put off by their sin. He was not put off by Matthew's bad reputation. Could I say this to us this morning? By the same token, Jesus would not be put off by your sin. Jesus would not be uncomfortable even knowing your bad thoughts. Jesus not, would not be uncomfortable even knowing the bad things you did last month. He would not be put off even knowing what you might have done last week or knowing what you did last night or even knowing what you wished you could have done last night. Jesus would still look at you, me, and say, follow me. Well, what happened? Verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this. Now, again, who were the Pharisees? They were the religious leaders, but... When the Pharisees saw this, saw what? Well, when they saw that Jesus had invited a dirty tax collector to follow him. And, and by the way, when, when they saw that, they would say, wait, wait, he's a rabbi, write him up. Uh, that's not appropriate. And furthermore, when the Pharisees saw that Jesus went to Matthew's house, they were probably even angry and said, write him up again. But the Pharisees are there at Matthew's house on the outside looking in and and I don't know how they got access to his disciples, but listen, it says, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? In other words, they were saying, you know, we're confused. He's a rabbi. He's supposed to be a holy man. Matthew's not. And of course, as Pharisees, they were thinking, but we are. You know, Jesus is a law keeper. Matthew's not, but we are. Jesus worships God. Matthew doesn't, but we do. And, and they were probably thinking, why did Jesus choose to eat with tax collectors and sinners instead of coming to our house for dinner? And then this is the really strange part of the story. Jesus is probably sitting around a table with Matthew and all of his friends. And, and Jesus knows the, the Pharisees are questioning what he's doing in there with those wicked people. And on hearing this, verse 12, on hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. <laughs> now imagine if you're Matthew and you hear this. You know, it's not the healthy, but the sick who need a doctor. And I wonder if Matthew was like, wait, 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 you're a guest in my house, buddy. Um. You're calling me sick? You're calling my friend sick? You know, that could have been a very awkward moment, but, but I just think that Jesus smiled and said, Matthew, you know what, you're a tax collector. You, you know, look at your life. You know when it comes to doing what's right. You're not doing what's right. Of course you're sick. And, and look at your friends, they're sick too. You know what, Jesus was so comfortable with sinners. And he spoke in such a kind, non-judgmental way that he actually could say out loud, you know, go tell the Pharisees that I'm here with the sick people and it's amazing that no one seemed to be offended. You know, today we, we get offended over so little and uh, I'm amazed at how easily we get offended. You know, we get offended, we get mad at people, mad at the church, mad at the city council, mad at our friends and 
And today people would have been fired up when Jesus basically said, you sinners and tax collectors here, sorry, but you're sick people. You're the sick people in this story. And maybe, can I rattle you a little bit this morning? Maybe stir you up, wake you up a little bit? Let me say this. Most of us, when it comes to sin, we're in the sick category. Now, I know we're a holiness church. We teach holy living, but a lot of us, if we would be honest, we would admit that when it comes to sin, we're sick. Now, we may not be in the big sins category, but most of us do other things that are probably just as bad, such as gossip, or we're critical, or our motives are impure, or we have a little bit of a double standard. And in fact, let me just ask this, dads, how many of you, you don't even do what you asked your son to do or not to do? Or, or parents, how many of us watch movies that we don't let our kids watch? Or, or we say words we don't let them say. You know, that boils down to where that's nothing but a double standard. So the truth is that most of us, in some way, we're sick. And frankly, if the standard is Jesus, and it is, we all fall short of the glory of God. We need a Savior. We're sick. We need the great physician. We need a healer. But, but you know what? Being sick spiritually puts us in the category of being prime candidates to follow Jesus. I, I'm serious. L- let me tell you something. Only men and women uh, and only teenagers and only college students and only married people and only single people who are willing to look in the mirror and say, I'm sick spiritually. I need help. Those are the ones, the only ones that can become followers of Jesus. So Jesus has kind of offended the people he's with, but he ain't done. Listen to the rest of the message, but go and learn what this means. Telling the Pharisees. Now, now why is this so offensive? Go and learn what this That doesn't seem offensive, but, but, but here's what was offensive. The Pharisees were supposed to know everything about spiritual things. They were supposed to know everything about the law. And all they ever did was sit around and learn and debate and all that kind of stuff. And so when Jesus said, hey, you need to go and learn what this means, he was zinging them. He was saying, go look this up, this Old Testament passage up. And then Jesus quotes from the prophet Hosea, says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And if the Pharisees didn't get that, Jesus gets really plain, says, for I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now catch these words, come to call, come to call, come to call. This is important. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In other words, Jesus was not content to simply be with people who believed all the right things. And he was not simply content to hang out with people who behaved all the right ways. And and, and listen up. We dare not become a church that is content to gather together and believe the right things and behave the right ways and stop there. Why? Because if we do that, we will find ourselves standing outside the very room that Jesus inhabits as he comes to call. Remember, comes to call, comes to call, comes to call the sick and the sinners who need a savior. And frankly, I don't want to pastor a church and I don't want to attend a church and I don't want my family attending a church that's all about believing the right way and behaving the right way and forgetting that we've been called. Remember, come to call, come to call, come to call those who need a savior. In fact, if the church that you attend or the life group you go to or the Sunday school class that you're part of, if they are content to simply believe the right ways and, and, and behave the right things, the right ways, then they will eventually become Pharisees and will become judgmental. And listen, they will become the, become the ones that will say, 
well, as soon as you change, you can be part of us. And if you don't hear anything else, don't miss this. When Jesus showed up, instead of saying change, and then you can join us, he said, join us, and then you will change. And frankly, that's the shift within me that's uncomfortable. Because a lot of us, you know, we've, we want people to line up. You know, we don't want this church to get a bad reputation of these dirty, rotten sinners in here. We want them to change and then we'll welcome them. He said, Matthew, I'm not asking you to do anything except follow me. And, and the Pharisees were going crazy. They said, wait, 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 he's a tax collector. He's a cheater. You shouldn't let him join you. But Jesus is like, I don't run according to your game plan. Your game plan is believe the right stuff, behave the right way, and then we'll give you a quiz and then decide if you can join us. Jesus says, I don't care what you've done. I don't care how bad you've been. I just want to, I want to extend an invitation for you to follow me. And here's the key. When people begin to follow Jesus and they begin to abide in the vine who is Christ and they begin to listen to the voice of the good shepherd, it doesn't take long and they will come to a point of repentance and change and mature and become new creatures in Christ Jesus. Let me uh, really try to speed things up here and wrap our time up with four things. Number one, this is huge. When it comes to deciding to follow Christ, being a sinner does not disqualify you. Rather, it's a prerequisite. You know, every single person that Jesus invited to follow him was a sinner. Every single one. And catch this. This is what kind of shakes me up. Before Matthew has prayed the prayer, before Matthew has gone forward to the altar, before Matthew has repented of his sins, before Matthew has been baptized, before Matthew has changed his life, Jesus said, follow me does that shake you up as much as it shook me up this week please know there is no sin there is no sin there is no sin there is no sin there is no habit there is no habit there is no addiction there is no addiction there is no lifestyle there is no situation that puts you outside of the circle of those who have been invited to follow jesus here's the second wrap-up thought you're going to recoil at this because I did. <laughs> Being an unbeliever does not disqualify you from beginning to follow Jesus. Being an unbeliever, and we talked about a sinner, but being an unbeliever does not disqualify you from beginning to follow Jesus. And, and I know initially that sounds like easy believism or heresy. And, and Joe, how dare you say that? But listen. None of Jesus' earliest followers believed, fully believed, when they started following Jesus. In fact, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's interesting. Jesus was constantly saying to these guys that had been with Jesus for a couple of years, He was saying, oh, your unbelief, your unbelief, they still didn't believe. And in fact, some of His followers never fully believed until Jesus actually rose from the dead. So what does that mean? I'm telling you, you can begin to follow Jesus right now, even before you have everything fully figured out. 
Now, again, as you begin abiding in the vine, you will change. And, and there will eventually come that aha moment to where you will stretch up your hand of faith and God will put his hand of grace down and you will clasp. And there will be that aha moment of, of repentance and, and you will receive him. But know that Jesus invited people to follow who did not yet fully believe. Which means this. Jesus is still inviting people to follow who may be currently hooked on drugs, who are currently alcoholics, who may be involved in a wicked lifestyle. He is asking them to take some baby steps to follow him. You're acting more mature than I did whenever I was studying this week. Number three, the invitation to follow is an invitation to relationship. It's not an invitation to follow the Ten Commandments. It's not an invitation to become a member of a church. It's not an invitation to play the Jesus says game. But it's an invitation to a relationship with Jesus. And, and yes, as we begin to grow in Him, we will follow the Ten Commandments. We will take seriously reading, studying the Word, and, and prayer, and being fed in God's house. And, and you will stop doing some things, and you will start doing other things. But, but now it's different. Now it's not, oh, I, I've got to read my Bible. I didn't know I've got to read my Bible. No, it's... Oh, I want to commune with Jesus through his word. Do you see the difference there? And, and now instead of saying, oh, I, I need to pray. Man, I skip my prayer. I need to pray. I need to pray. I need to pray. It's, Lord, I just feel like I need to talk to you, spend some time with you today. Now it's not, oh, I've got to go to church and Oh, man, I don't have time. No, now it's, I love what Christ loved. And do you remember what Christ loved? The church. I want to be with other members of the family of God. So do you see the difference when we begin abiding in the vine? Yes, we will still read our Bibles, but no, it's not. Okay, I've got to get in so many chapters today. And, you know, now it's, I may get in one verse, but as I commune with God, oh, it's special. He's revealing stuff to me. And now instead of saying, oh, you know, I got to pray eight minutes. Oh, man, it's only seven minutes. What can I say for the other minute? You know, there may be days that you just commune with him and it may be five minutes, 50 minutes. But there's just that communion with Jesus. It begins by... Accepting an invitation to follow Jesus in a relationship where you come just as you are. I know you're ready for number four because you think you're going to get to go home, don't you? Following Jesus causes me... <laughs> I love this one. Following Jesus causes me to focus on where I am rather than where you are not. If you've ever felt judged by a church or people, it's probably because they were in that group who believed the right things and behaved the right way. But somewhere along the line, they quit following Jesus. You say, is that really possible? Oh, yes. Let, let me read that statement again, because I, I, I think that gets down to where some of us are. You know, there, there's some people who, who believe the right things and behave the right way, but they quit following Jesus. And what I found is that the more conscious I am of the work that God has yet to do in me, the less critical I am of what God has yet to do in you. 
And what makes the body of Christ so extraordinary is, is when men and women come together and some know a lot and some know just a little bit and, and some have been walking with Jesus a long time. Some have been walking with Jesus a short time. Some people have great faith and some have little faith, but, but everybody to the best of their ability is moving in the same direction, abiding in Christ, learning to become better followers of Jesus Christ. So as we launch this series, I hope the question that you will discuss with your family and friends is, am I following Jesus? The question again is not, how well do I pray? Not which translation of the Bible is better. Not what kind of worship music is more spiritual. But am I following Jesus? And, you know, I was just praying this morning. I was praying throughout the week. God, would you give us people that would begin a true relationship with you? You know, I heard it this week. Somebody has kind of fallen away. And so the question was asked, well, are you reading your Bible? And, you know, that's the way we've been programmed. That's what I say. I've said that a thousand times when somebody has fallen away. Well, are you praying? Are you reading your Bible? And. And again, I know there's, this is truth and we're fed by this, but if we're just reading our Bible to read our Bible, then, you know, we're missing out on, on that beautiful relationship with Christ. And so I, I would love to see us over the next few weeks just begin to develop that relationship where we're following Jesus. And again, some of you come in, you got stuff you're going on in your life and some stuff that maybe not, isn't lining up and, and you're, you haven't arrived yet, that's okay. You keep on following. And I pray that for those of you that maybe haven't had that aha moment where you accept Jesus as your personal Savior and establish that relationship, I pray that either today or in the days to come that you will do so and that you would begin to view Christianity, serving the Lord as more than just reading, praying, going to church, but you would follow Jesus. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, I just ask that today and in the days to come, Lord, you would do something amazing in our midst. Father, I pray that you would forgive us for trying to reduce serving the Lord down to just a kind of Jesus says game. The Lord, help us to understand what it means to abide in the vine and to listen to the good shepherd as we hear his voice and we move in his direction. Lord, I pray that you'd help me because I, I, I'll admit that my some of my preconceived ideas are, are being blown out of the water right now. And, and Father, I, I want to be open to your voice. I want to be open to the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that over the coming weeks we would just fall in love with Jesus and Lord we would see just a whole bunch of people abiding in the vine and as they do that then they will commune with you and they will grow in grace knowledge and but Lord it will be about following Jesus not about just doing those things Father I pray that you would just help us today in Jesus name heads bowed eyes closed is there anybody that would say pastor God has really spoken to me I feel like that he 
he nailed me today. And would you just pray for me? Is there anybody that would lift a hand just quickly? Anybody? Just say, God has spoken to me in some areas. And maybe I've made it into a Jesus says game and, and haven't really been communing with him. Is there anybody that, you know, I think we're all guilty here this morning. Let's just all stand together and wrap things up with closing part of our prayer. Father, I think we're guilty here. And I know I am. And I, Father, I pray, Father, that you would help us just to be able to um, truly follow you this week. Make a difference in our lives. Thank you for the amazing work that you're going to do. And Lord, instead of just having a bunch of rule keepers here, I believe that we're going to have a bunch of Jesus followers. Go with us, I pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.